look at sales in a very simple definition, and that is really delivering value for what someone needs. And so if you look at sales in that light, that's a very noble profession. So it kind of starts with make sure that people in their organization and sales who have the right knowledge, mindset, approach, their cultural fit for the business, but also working with other areas of the business to get rid of those negative ideas about what sales is. Welcome to Rise Leaders Radio. I'm your host, Leanne Mallory. As a leadership coach, I work inside organizations and I focus on helping leaders achieve their whole person potential and meaningfully contribute to their organization's mission. With this podcast, I share leadership best practices, developmental approaches, and stories of exemplary leaders. Greetings. This is Leanne, and I'm glad that you've tuned in today to Rise Leaders Radio. Today, we are talking to Chris Goad, and we are talking about sales and the sales process. Chris is co-founder of 360 Consulting, and he has been in sales for about 25 years now, working for large companies, smaller companies, and finally went out on his own about six years ago. And he's now bringing the wealth of his experience to small and mid-market companies. So what you'll hear us talk about today, uh, we have four major categories. Number one is the current challenges in finding sales talent, how to encourage use of a CRM system, how to bridge the cross-functional getting along between sales and other organizations within a business, and the four pillars of a good sales organization. Just that piece in and of itself, it was quite brief, but it was just a list of things that you need to have on board to have a successful sales organization. So without further ado, let's join Chris and me in our conversation. You can check out the episode notes for links for how to get in touch with Chris, how to get in touch with me, and enjoy the episode. Good morning, Chris. Welcome to Rise Leaders Radio Podcast. It's so great to have you here. Leanne, thank you for having me. I was uh, super excited to have the opportunity to do this. And um, it's been such a great thing to get to meet you and know you a little bit better. And uh, super excited about that as well. Oh, good, good. Well, let's just hop right in. And I'd love to get started by asking you to tell, tell us a little bit about what you do, who your target audience is, and like how your target market and how you came to this point in your life. Yeah, well, that's a cool question. So I spent a lot of years with nice large companies and some smaller uh, startups and small business companies, companies like Dr. Pepper and 3M and, and others. And so I was always, I think from a very young age in business, while I was operationally tasked, I was always sales focused. And um, really enjoyed really being able to connect people in the companies that I were working for 
together to be able to do really good business and and help people you know get real value from those relationships on both sides on both sides of the uh, equation. I found myself at you know about six years ago now. Found myself in what I tell people was a really good compensation role job, uh, but I found that I wasn't um, experiencing the joy that I once did, and um, and so through those years of working um, in sales and and other roles and. And with good companies and and really putting great deals together and bringing people together in those great relationships, I found kind of a recurring theme. Most of the companies that I work for, um, I would tell you from a sales standpoint, were functionally dysfunctional. And they didn't spend like most of the energy and effort was not on developing great sales process or talent. People kind of found that path in those companies and figured it out on their own often. And um, not that it was bad, but it just, there wasn't a great process for being able to do that. It was one of the things that really helped me in business uh, to be able to build, rebuild, restructure sales organizations, make them better, find ways to develop people, coach people, train people, help them succeed, and ultimately, you know, reach the goals that I was tasked with for the organizations that I worked for. And so I knew those gaps were in the marketplace, and you know, I thought about doing this as a business for for a very long time, and uh, came across an organization who found me actually, um, who we're licensed with called Sales Acceleration, and they built a really cool business model for you know kind of fractional sales leaders and sales consulting, and then just have evolved our business from there. That thing that I believe that there was a big gap in the marketplace has proven to be absolutely true. And maybe even greater in the uh, you know in the SMB you know small to mid sized business world than it is you know even in the larger corporate companies that I work for. And so for me, it's exciting. I, I love what I do. I really love helping people. It's kind of the why, whether they're individuals or business owners. Um, and I get up every day just super excited to go 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 do the things that we do. Yeah, I believe you from our conversations. I believe that that's what you work with. You just said something that struck me. I, I'm going to use this term again, operationally tasked and sales focused. Yes. I I love that term and it really does balance at least two sides of the business in that term. So I, I appreciate that. Yeah, it's interesting. So it came from, I guess, from just how I came up and how I learned business. and But the one thing that has always been a mantra and a focus um, in my corporate career and companies I worked with and now in my consulting practice, um, sales can't be an operational nightmare. Revenue is not necessarily good revenue if it's not profitable. So sales really touches everything in the business. You know, nothing really happens until something gets sold. And so, you know, we try to find a way to keep that balance of how do we do great business? You know, how do we win for the customer and also win for the company? And we have to do that equally, right? Those, you hear that old cliche about win-win, but it truly is critically important. So it's always been, I think it's innate for me because I learned that way. Fortunate to be exposed to very smart people who helped me uh, and groomed me as either groomed me well or beat me up enough that I figured it out on my own. And, um, 
But, you know, we can't always try to keep that focus and the, and the clients that we work with today, you know, while we, you know, we're looking to help them grow their revenues and grow their business, we're always doing that with, you know, a holistic view, right? We want to make sure that we're not creating operational challenges, um, that we're driving margin and profitability at the same time because revenue isn't doesn't mean anything if, it, if you can't drive gross margin, EBITDA, and those, those critical things to the lifeblood of a business. Yeah. There's so many things that you said right there that I want to follow up on. One of them is the, the relationship between sales and operations. And I started my corporate career in a really large, I think when I left EDS, there were about 140,000 employees. So, and of course, we were organized into divisions or strategic business units. So each unit had its own operations, sales, um, all of that. But there was always this friction. And I think it, it continues to be there while every department or every function, it's holding its pole. It's you know what it has committed to do for the organization, but it creates some natural tension between sales, operations, finance, whatever those are. And then we have all of these stereotypes of all the people in those different roles. So when you say a holistic view of the business, what have you found works well to have those all of the different functions of the, of the organization like rowing in the same direction and, and working well together? That's a great question. And, you know, um, and, and sometimes we have more success than others. But I will say that there are some fundamental pillars of mindset that really come into play for a company and the culture in their business. We talk a lot about winning culture and uh, winning sales culture and business. Um, and one of the very first things is if I say salesman, what do you think of? Well, I already know what you're going to say. <laughs> right. Thanks for sparing me. <laughs> yeah. It does not necessarily bring up a great image or connotation of what, you know, uh, of something positive. Right. But we really look, we look at sales uh, in a very simple definition. And that is really delivering value for what someone needs. And so if you look at sales in that light that we're delivering value for what someone needs, that's a very noble profession. So it kind of starts with make sure that people in their organization and sales who have the right knowledge, mindset, um, approach, their cultural fit for the business, but also working with others, other areas of the business to get rid of those negative ideas about what sales is. Because, you know, most of the time, the sales organization, whether it's one person or hundreds of people, they're the face of the business. And, or at least at least in the early stages uh, and maybe ongoing forever, they're really the face of the business. So we really work to make sure that we have the right people, the right mindset, a clear understanding from everyone in the organization of what do we do in sales? What, you know, how do we develop leads? How do we develop deals in our pipeline? How do we articulate our value proposition? How do we create winning relationships? So that it's not like in a vacuum uh, where everyone understands it and we take the mythology out of sales. There's no magic in sales. It's a, it's a process like accounting, production, operations, any other business discipline. And I think that's, uh, 
That's a philosophy that I learned and developed in my career and had brought into my consulting practice. And, and I think we, we do that really well with clients. And, you know, it's really helpful. It makes it, it takes all the, the confusion away. Now, you know, I would also say that um, tension doesn't always go away. And by the way, I think <laughs> a, little of, a little bit of that is, uh, is, is healthy in business, right? So we should always be, uh, you know, have checks and balances and testing each other and making sure that we're getting better, uh, but doing it in a positive way to move, you know, to the rising tide lifts all the boats. Let's just make the tide lift, right? Yeah, I'm doing some work right now with an organization where we're doing a cross-functional coaching. And in every coaching group, there's five or six groups. There are four to five people in each group and they're cross-functionally represented and they're at the top layer of the organization and actually the top few layers of the organization. And we have had some of the best conversations with sales and engineering and operations being on the same call together. And we do, you know, we use, you know, maybe live ammo, you know, like real situations Mm -hmm. in those calls. And it seems that just more cycles of practicing good communication skills, listening, working on real issues together in a safe environment, that that also is is really helpful. And I'm seeing organizations do more of that kind of thing. I wonder what if that's your experience as well. I think in small business, in small and mid-sized companies, it's much easier to do that than it is yes. in companies. You don't have to kind of force those connections. They're, they're already baked into the business. And I would go back to, you know, when we talk about sales as part of the business, it really starts with getting the right people, having the right processes, making what you're doing visible. I can't tell you how many companies we worked with and we say, well, when's the last time anyone went on a sales call? Well, we haven't. Oh, okay. Well, gosh, that might be an opportunity. <laughs> I think that, we, you know, as we work with our clients, we really try to figure out the best way to put together communication and clarity around, you know, what are we doing? So, you know, you could use the example of, you know, you might have a product or a service and if you're an entrepreneurial venture or maybe you have a marketing team and they come up with something and you're not executing, you're not getting customers, you're not getting upsells to existing customers. And that could be looked at, well, you know, hey, the sales team is solely responsible. They just won't sell this, right? Or they just, they're not executing. Well, that could be, or it could be that there's gaps in your product or service offering. It could be that you have competitive scenarios that are preventing you from being successful. It could be any number of things. And so bringing those things out and working with, you know, with everyone in the the organization, especially the leadership of the company to say, hey, you know, maybe we do have a sales problem or maybe our product or service has some gaps. And so what can we do to fix those things? How can we collaboratively understand what do we need to do to move the ball forward and really go out and win? Yeah, it's a matter of not looking for the easy answers or making one function in the organization or one person the scapegoat. Oh, it's sales. And so let's try a different tactic because then it's, you know, kind of that banging your head against the wall and expecting a different result. So getting underneath that and finding out where is the issue So something else that you just said reminded me of one of the kind of ongoing challenges that I see in organizations. And I've worked 
with a fairly large sales organization within a multinational company for a few years. And even in this cross-functional work that I'm doing now, seeing it again, that some people resist using a system like a CRM. And it seems to be really helpful. You talked about visibility, and that is some visibility into the process. And I'm curious if you see that as well in your work, that kind of resistance. And if there's a way that you have found to overcome the resistance to to that discipline and, and using a system like that. That's a great one. You know, it's, and we run into it virtually every time we work with clients. I would tell you that fundamentally, you have to get consensus around why do we have a CRM and what are we trying to accomplish? If companies are looking at the CRM as solely a management tool, hey, I want to know where my salespeople are, what they're doing, how many calls they're making. Certainly, we want to use it in that way. But let's kind of flip that script and say our philosophy around CRM is if it doesn't make you better, and more efficient, why would you use it? Mm. So then, okay, if you start with that premise, then you have to understand, do we have the right tool? Has it been implemented correctly? Can we make it more efficient? If you work with salespeople and you teach them that, oh my gosh, this is making me better. I'm selling more. I'm keeping track of my pipeline and my activities better. Well, that's a whole different premise in that, you know, big brother's looking over your shoulder to make sure you're entering the stuff in the CRM. So if you get if you start off with, do we have the right tool? Do we have it configured correctly? Do we have the right processes in there? And always keeping an eye on what's the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal is sell more, right? Do better. Then it changes the it changes the whole concept and the whole belief system around what a CRM can mean for your business and for individuals in the business. It, it sounds to me like one of the threads that runs through the way that you think and perhaps your approach to business is the why. You know, like always getting it down to why is something not working? Why do we want to use a CRM system that you're always breaking it down? And even including that in your communication and perhaps advocating that people communicate from that level. And not only that, I think as it relates to anything that what we try to bring into a client engagement and help companies with is clarity around that why and how we're going to collectively come to this decision. As an example, if we were going to work with a company on CRM, just as one of the things that we do, not that we are necessarily implementers or CRM, but we might go in and work with a company so you don't have one or, or it's not doing what you want. Usually they have something and it's not doing what they want. Well, we start off with what's the goal, right? And then rather than doing that from a managed leadership solely perspective, we get participation from everyone on the team, in particular, the, the people who are going to be using it every day and get them to participate in the process. And when people participate in that process, suddenly they have some ownership in that. And now it's not just someone saying, hey, you're going to do this or this is policy or we have to get in the CRM. Now they're they're part of it, right? They've been part of what why we're doing it, what we're going to do, how we're going to do, what the ultimate results should be, and now that's a whole different that's a whole different uh, kind of mindset and a whole different position to come from uh, when you start to hold people accountable. 
So I don't know if this was intentional on you and your business partners end, but it seems like you've also embedded a lot of good change management practices, which is having the conversation and getting getting that buy-in, let people letting people choose or find out for themselves why something is is valuable. And I think many times a solution is is determined and people are kind of forced into it and you know ultimately or eventually I should say it can work but it's rough in the beginning when that's the tactic indeed and i think it's funny you when you say change, you know you say change management but you know ultimately we're sales consultants and we come in when companies either are growing so fast they can't keep up or they've hit a wall or they want to go to the next level or they're just having problems that they can't solve and so by very nature of that initial engagement, whether they know it or not, they're asking for change. Yeah. And so not that we're going to throw the baby out with the bathwater. We want to keep all the good things that businesses do and build upon those positive things. But often we are bringing in quite a bit of change. And so, you know, you've heard of buyer personas from a marketing standpoint, and we do some of that in our value proposition work with our clients. Ultimately, if you're not willing to change, then I don't know how we're going to be able to help people, right? And so uh, we've got to find the right things to do, not change for the sake of change, but change to get to the goals that we have, figure out the right things to do, get everyone involved in the process so they have some ownership in that in that change. Um, and then it's not so scary, right? Right. It is interesting that organizations will bring you in and not expect change, you know, like that they will be dealing with with some change when they're asking, help us do something different, which definitely means change. Yeah. Well, you know, our, <laughs> our very best outcomes are with business owners and leaders who are willing and have the courage to change. And that's not always easy. So when you're an entrepreneur or a business owner or a CEO of a company, you find yourself on your own little island. And um, what we really try to do is we try to come in and say, what's what's working, what's not working? If they're brave enough and have enough courage to actually make those changes, um, the outcomes almost every time are extremely positive. Yeah. And you're, we're talking here about improving sales, but what you just said is relevant for any change, you know, any implementation, anything that you're doing differently, it's going to take courage and the willing willingness to change. One of the things that you and I spoke about before, because I'm super curious about what is different for sales organizations since COVID. And in my mind, and I this may or may not be true, but I'm one of the things that I think about is that during that time of lockdown, External sales folks probably were not going out into the field and meeting with people one-on-one. I assume that they were doing it over phone or over Zoom, et cetera. And so from that point forward, like they're doing something differently, maybe they're held to the same standards, I don't know. But from there till today, what have you seen change? Well, there's been a lot. It's interesting. So many industries did extremely well during COVID. If you were in a service business, not so much. We thought like manufacturing and construction and these businesses were going to slow down. So we, you know, everybody started pulling back the brakes, the supply chain and all these things started pulling, you know, pulling back the reins saying we're going to slow down. 
Uh, when in fact, it, it only slowed down for a little bit and then things started going because the demand for a lot of these products and services, they didn't go away. Mm-hmm. So salespeople found themselves all, all of a sudden in this uh, scenario where they couldn't necessarily go visit customers or certainly not like they did before while companies were using technology like we're on Zoom and Teams and other tools, they weren't using them to the extent that they are today. And so that was a big, that was a big change. And I think everyone kind of understands that change. But the things that like kind of the subtle things that needed to change and maybe maybe didn't change fast enough and maybe still haven't changed to the extent that they need to today is um you know, we'll go to companies and they'll hire a salesperson or have salespeople and they have, you know, they have old technology, they have old laptops or they have, you know, they have to provide their own stuff or or whatever that is. Man, if your sales team now is relying on doing business like you and I are talking today, I want them to have the best stuff. I want them to have the fastest internet speed. I want them to have laptops and cameras and mics and Everything is going to put them, again, this is the face of your company, you know, so do you want the face of your company to be blurry and fuzzy and cutting out or do you want it to be top shelf? So I'm not sure we fully made that transition, but it definitely changed. I think that great salespeople figure out how to get it done. Um, And then there's an acceptance um, now of us interacting this way that wasn't necessarily there before. And so that's helpful. If we take anything positive from COVID, it's that we've now become more comfortable using technology, doing business. Maybe I don't need to put my people on a plane. Maybe they don't have to drive uh, 90 miles one way to go do a customer meeting um, because now the customer is more understanding and accepting. Hey, you know what? Let's just jump on teams. I have a client we're working with today and I was going to be on one end of the Metroplex and he's on the other. And he's like, man, I really need to get an hour of your time. And I said, well, you know, I've got lunch and I could be there by then. He's like, hey, you know what? Let's just do it on Teams. I was like, perfect. (laughs) Now, I don't know that I would have had that, you know, a year and a half ago. And maybe that would have been even in my own head. I would have not been able to, um, to see it in that light. And then, you know, the other the other thing that you and I talked about briefly that has changed, and it was certainly there before COVID, but exponentially there now is companies are having a very hard time hiring sales talent. And there is a been a couple of articles written from the Wall Street Journal and others on there's this negative for people don't want to take sales roles for for whatever reason. And and I think it's because the change in how you have to do business, even though we're we're better now, and at some point in the future we're gonna we're gonna find the proper balance to get back to whatever normal will be in the future. But there's also this responsibility that comes with sales. There's the way that people compensate salespeople. There's the way that they position and market those positions. Um, there's the culture of the company that they're coming into around what sales is and what sales is not. And all of those things are creating this huge, there are talent gaps in almost every mm-hmm. every business and every, every type of role within a business. But hiring sales talent now is, is exponentially harder uh, than it was pre-pandemic and it wasn't easy pre-pandemic. So um, I think that companies have to really put their brain to work 
and really understand how am I going to create the right roles? How am I going to market my business, my culture, the position itself? What do I do when I bring people into my business? I've got a great client that says, who has a great sales team, and he basically has a philosophy that, hey, you know what? Having a seat on our sales team, you've got to be special because this is a great place. It's a great role. It's compensated very well. We train, mentor, coach. So that's a whole different philosophy around there's a price to pay to be on his team. He's only going to get the best people for his team because that's the what that's what he believes. He believes he has a top, and he does. He has a top shelf sales organization. So I think all of these things are in play today um, to be able to, to attract talent. And maybe I missed this, and and forgive me if I did. Why are people not wanting to go into sales roles now more so than? before the pandemic. What is making it harder? Is it just general talent shortage? What's going on? I think it's a combination of talent shortage and um, and what was in play pre-pandemic in that when you're in a sales role, it comes with great responsibility. Mm. The unknown for people about what that responsibility is, how am I going to execute that in today's world? Those things are kind of in play. And then I, you know, I think that um, you know, it's, it's not it's not easy, right? Sales isn't easy, and anyone who's ever done it knows that it takes a hundred percent dedication, focus, and professionalism to be successful. And we we spoke about how sales has changed, or the responsibility of the salesperson has changed, or even the skill level, because now so much of what is being sold is is highly technical, whether it's uh, in the digital space, in the IT space, in the medical space, whatever that is, it's it's much more technical than it was 20 years ago, or perhaps even 10 years ago. But you you need someone who can be specialized in that knowledge, and who has whatever personality you need to have to do all of the things that you just mentioned. Take on that hard job. Well, it's a great point. So we would be of the belief that we want to find a great cultural fit for the company with a desire and a skill set to be able to sell. Everything else in that business, we can teach them, but we have to teach them. And so we have to have a plan to teach them if they're going to execute at a high level. And it's harder for other businesses or for some businesses than it is for others, depending on what you're selling. And yes, every business today has more technical aspects that are coming into play than we've ever had before. You know, one of the things that we do with our clients is uh, when we help them hire, we make sure that we build ideal candidate profiles, that we know exactly what we're looking for. We help them market the position in a better way. We help them build proper compensation plans. And that compensation plan might look different in the onboarding than it does in the ongoing. And then we help them build onboarding plans, sometimes that are fairly extensive, um, so that when you get the right person with the right skill set, who's the right cultural fit, that you're not just saying, you know, hey, go get them, Tiger. (laughs) You actually have a plan to train them, teach them, wrap, you know, ramp them up. And that could be, we built uh, onboarding plans that went, you know, four, four to six months. 
Um, so that doesn't mean that they're not producing it in that time, but that they have an, a, a consistent. And then the other piece of that is how do you coach and develop those people beyond their onboarding? And that's not always, you know, you might do that in other, in other parts of your business, but it's never really been looked at that way in sales. Um, I can tell you from my own experience, my own corporate career, it wasn't necessarily looked, looked at that way. Yeah. And I just listening to you speak again, I think all of the things that you said could also apply to any role within an organization. Uh, Perhaps the sales role has had less of that in the past, you know, historically than other roles do. But everything that you just said, ideal candidate, all of those things, you know, we should be doing that for any role in the organization if we want that person to last. And it's so hard to bring new talent on. You might as well invest in really getting them up to speed so that you're not doing it again. You know, they're not leaving and you're, you're having to do it again. Yeah. I think the other, you know, the other thing for, and this is true, again, this would be true of any role, but in, particularly for sales is we don't believe in participation trophies. We have to have accountability for sales. And whatever those things are, we help companies figure that out. And so not just the results, but we want to work to the furthest point upstream uh, to build accountability. And and part of the onboarding plan really is to get accountability in place as soon as possible, uh, because that sets the stage for the future. Yeah. You know, we all want to be 100% successful at hiring talent, onboarding, training, coaching, and getting them to success. It doesn't always work. Um, and so we look for ways to take the ambiguity out of whether it's working or not hmm. by building in accountability. And what we don't want to do is pour in if we're not going to get a return on that investment. So, you know, that's also part of the process. And um, we've helped companies be successful with hiring and onboarding and keeping talent. But we also have helped them determine when they shouldn't. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that's probably equally as important. It sounds like that you all have done a great job of uh, objectifying what is uh, kind of those critical success factors from beginning all the way to, all right, now they're free, they're on their own. One of the things, Chris, that we also spoke about, or maybe we didn't, but this is something that I'm always curious about. So you and I both work in the the same general space, small Mm -hmm. to to mid-market companies, is there a sweet spot there? So when an organization first launches, it's very dependent on the entrepreneur, their selling capabilities, their ability to bring on the revenue. And then, of course, as the business grows, they bring on more and more people to fill out all of the roles. At what point do they need to more formalize their sales process, perhaps even bring on a sales leader uh, that other sales folks will report to. Do you have some guidelines there? Yeah, I think it's different for every business, Leanne. You know, it's a great question, by the way. So going back to, well, how do you make that decision? I, I believe it's critically important that with, whether you're startup or you're growing or, you're, or you've grown to a certain level and you're trying to get to the next level, that you have a plan, and, and this is this is working in concert with your accounting and finance team, um, or if you are the accounting and finance team, <laughs> right? You know, we're, working through is let's let's start to establish benchmarks of um, the worst thing in the world is to say I need a salesperson 
90 days ago, and now it's going to take me 90 days to find one. And so what are the things, what are the indicators that we can build into the business plan? And, and by the way, into your profitability and all those things where it says, hey, you know what, we want a resource plan. And I know that, you know, it's going to take me X number of days to hire a salesperson, X number of days to onboard them, X number of days to get them up to some kind of run rate. And build those into your plan so that you're ahead of the curve instead of behind the curve. So it sounds really easy. It's not really easy. And it's different for every business. But um, those are the things that we try to help clients with is to understand when are we going to do this? And how are we going to do this? And how long does it really take so that they don't end up in a situation where, where many entrepreneurs end up? And that is, you know, I'm wearing all the hats. I have no time and I'm hitting a wall, my business is not growing because I don't have the resources. Yeah. Yeah. And right. Um, and then they find themselves in a reactive mode all the time. And then it's even harder to take the time to hire good people because they're constantly reacting. So Chris, do you do work, just one-on-one work with entrepreneurs who they're just at the very beginning and they just want you know, some indicators, like how will I know when it's time for X? Do you work with people even at that stage of their business? Yes. So we've worked with startups all the way to very large companies. So we're our typical clients somewhere between startup and 70 million in revenue-ish. It's a big span. <laughs> it is a big span. Um, it is, and that's why, every, that's why every situation is a little bit different. I would tell you that we have a really good process uh, for how we help our clients, but the actual scope of work that we do with them and, and the process gets tweaked to fit their business. So um, it, we don't really have a, it's not a cookie cutter process. Everyone's a little bit different. Every mm-hmm. business is a little bit different. Even within the same industry, it's amazing how much nuance there is in business. So we, we really focus on the client, uh, what's right for them, not necessarily trying to fit them into any particular box. You know, I think I told you, we only, you know, we only have two golden rules. We only work with people we know we can help and we only work with people we like. So, um, and the like part is easy because if we're helping them, you know, we always enjoy that. So. Yeah. Yeah. So it feels like you just um, this this part right here, you just made a really good pitch for what you do. I'm realizing that we never said what the name of your company is. And before we close, I want to make sure that you tell people the name of your your company and how to find you. And you have a great newsletter that I suggest people log on and subscribe to as well. Yeah. So we're companies 360 Consulting. Our website is uh, 360consultingdfw.com. We are a group of seven consultant advisors. We've been in business since 2015. Um, We've worked extensively in Dallas, Fort Worth, but we have clients in California and South Dakota and kind of spread all over the place, but we don't necessarily enjoy traveling because, you know, I've probably had 3 million miles on American or something from all my corporate travel. (laughs) And and, um, I kind of enjoy not doing that, but we do enjoy working with clients anywhere if we can really help them. I think, uh, you know, our main focus is sales. So if you look at our kind of the key areas that we work with companies on, we work with them 
on their go-to-market strategy and value proposition so they're clear about their ideal customer and how do they get more of those. We work with them on the whole process of selling. How do you generate a lead? How do you get them into your sales cycle? What are the steps that you do to make them a customer? How do you manage them ongoing? So that whole sales process, people is another big bucket because we're getting right people, right seat, right roles and responsibilities, how to compensate those people, all of those details, and then how to manage everything from your CRM, your dashboards, your KPIs, um, what a sales meeting should look like, what a one-on-one interaction with a sales rep should look like, budgets, goals, resource planning, all of those details. So those are kind of the four key areas that uh, that we that we really help clients with, and then we do we also help recruit sales talent as well. Okay, well, even just listening to that list of things, I think is educational. Like if somebody were just to fast forward to the end of our conversation and say, "All right, here are the things that a good sales organization needs," I think that that was uh, educational in and of itself just to even hear that list. So thank you for for sharing those uh, those four things. Is that your four-legged stool there? Or? That's the four-legged stool that we laughed about when we had coffee. Uh, and we, we just couldn't get everything in a three-legged stool. We had to have a fourth leg. Yeah, yeah. And I just say that's a table. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. It's a table. Well, Chris, thank you so much. I'm uh, so happy that our paths crossed Um you know, you you asked me at the beginning, you know, what do you when you think of a salesperson, what do you think of? And then you graciously excused me from uh, needing to answer that. And I will have to say that your own persona personality is uh, and I don't know if this is how you've always been or, you know, you've just learned over time that this is a great way to be successful in the world. But um, I find you to be such a great listener and you have great questions, and I'm really enjoying um, getting to know you. Well, thank you so much. And I feel absolutely the same way about you. That's very kind of you to say. And um, I really enjoyed the time together, and I uh, am excited to continue building uh, our relationship as well. All right. Well, thank you so much. And we will have all of the links on how to get in touch with Chris in the episode notes. And uh, thanks for listening. If you like what you heard today, subscribe to Rise Leaders Radio on your preferred podcast platform. Your ratings, reviews, and shares are also really appreciated. You can also visit rise-leaders.com for all the resources we talked about today and to work with me if you're committed to making your unique and positive impact. Thank you for listening and remember, elevate your part of the world.